welcome to episode number 12 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, Fitness and Prepping, recorded February 2nd, 2019. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3, EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help get people prepared and able to better look after themselves for at least 20 or 40, 42, 24, 72 hours, if not longer. Hi there, my name is Ian. I'm co-host of the show. I live on Vancouver Island on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, target shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has allowed me to explore every province and territory in Canada. It has also taught me to adapt to unexpected situations. It reminds me daily that learning never ends. Uh, I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. Uh, background is medical first responder. Helped me develop a mind for safety. Uh, these days, I teach first aid, coach my friends and family to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. All right. We've got some great content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness and the outdoors. And next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Now we're getting into the main topic for the episode. It involves the importance of physical fitness from a preparedness perspective. So let's get into some news articles. Uh, the big news in my area this week has been the absolutely brutal cold, uh, minus 25, minus 35, uh, wind chills, minus 40s. And then, of course, now that we've got all the snow and the ground is as hard as it can be, we're going to have... Uh, plus 10 and rain for the for the rest of the weekend. So um, the article that I linked to is Global News and made me ask the question, are all your preps safe from flooding? Well, yeah, even cold weather for the, uh, you know, spoiling the food, hot weather spoils the food. Now the flooding is something else to worry about as well, I guess. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the cold weather will do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just bad skidooing overall, I think, with this kind of weather. Oh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, so for mine, I, I didn't want to like stick it in the in anybody's eye for the you know rubbing it in or anything, but I uh, picked up an article mentioned that the fact that Winnipeg was for the day colder than Mars. Um, so there's a global news article as well. Basically, I think uh, Mars was sitting at minus seven when uh, Winnipeg was at minus thirty three, and basically I think it was pretty much the coldest place on Earth at that point, and uh, I think it was colder than both the poles as well. So I had to kind of suppress a giggle, but I'm going to pay for it later this week. Uh, we're, we're going to be taking a little punch of the temperatures here as well now, finally. Yeah, um, I'm in the ear way. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second <laughs> one I mentioned, it was very interesting from a preparedness perspective, is that, uh, you know, not only reactor issues as well on a nuclear basis, but also the fact is power outages can be affected not just by hot weather with nuclear reactors. Usually during the summer, the water gets too hot, so they have to ramp down their power production. But now uh, with the extreme cold weather in New Jersey, they had a reactor shut down because the uh, ice built up on the intakes for the cooling water. So they had to shut down the reactor because they couldn't get enough coolant into the reactor even when it's super cold. Oh, that's different. Yeah, it was just uh, kind of an odd one-off. I've never seen that one before. Usually, it's like in, in France during the summer, you'll notice that a lot of the brownouts happen because all the rivers in France get too warm. and They have like tons of nuclear reactors there, and they have to ramp down the power production because it's just too warm, but I've never seen one for too cold yet. I guess they can't just open a window. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, so I've got a news article here from uh, CBC. Uh, it's just titled uh, "Bitter Temperatures Expected to Sink Until uh, or Stick Around Until About F Friday." 
So it uh, talks about uh, the frigid air here getting to about minus 20 to minus 25 degrees Celsius uh, with wind gusting up to 70 kilometers an hour. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to drive in. I was on the road a lot uh, this past week for work and just driving around realizing I can't see in front of me or anything was... Uh, was fun, but uh, at least I had my go bag with me. So if something did happen. I uh, I had everything with me. I needed to make it through. If I ended up stuck in a snowbank, but uh, yeah, the weather was uh, certainly interesting this past week. Well, I figure this just follow the snowplow. But if it, you know if he goes to the ditch, you're going as well. But usually they generally know what they're doing. Right. Or eventually they go over to the Walmart parking lot to the Home Depot parking lot and you haven't gotten anywhere. Yeah, yeah this is true. Or, or driving along and all of a sudden the, uh, the transport truck that you couldn't see being right in front of you and having to swerve out of the way. Yeah. It's a good, good thing I had an extra pair of uh, underwear in the go bag. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fun all around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll move into what we've done lately for our preps. So for myself, uh, I cycled through my kit. Uh, like I mentioned, I was on the road a lot last week and it was uh, quite a distance away from home. So prior to doing that and uh, as well as getting back from, from that, because I'm, I'm on the road again next week going even further away, uh, went through all my kit, uh, made sure anything that's battery operated has been topped up with batteries. Uh, as well, when I was home, checked the uh, generator out because we did have that big dumping of snow. So made sure it was cleared out and made sure there's a good distance um, of snow cleared away from uh, the intake and the uh, exhaust for the generator to make sure that if it does need to fire up, that it's actually going to do so and work. And uh, again, made sure that my go bag has been uh, properly restocked and uh, everything's topped up power wise. Uh, this week, I actually put one of my emergency planes into place. Uh, and I think I've mentioned I work about 60 kilometers from home. Uh, a snowstorm blow through uh, early in the week. And so we decided to put first level of plan in place, which was to meet up in town and go to a friendly location where we knew we had warm food, friendly faces and a warm bed to sleep, uh, rather than make the drive out to the uh, out to the homestead. Uh, a simple test of the solid plan. I was able to test my uh, test what's in my go bag and go back to work the next day as if nothing had gone wrong. So that was uh, that was a kind of a great little test. Um, not taking the stand on the ditch or be snowplow, etc. Uh, in terms of developing new uh, preps, I found a couple of resources um, through the uh, fire department from New York. Uh, FDNY publishes a couple of really cool books, including the Probationary Firefighters Handbook. Um, I mentioned I, two or three episodes ago, I was building a playbook for the family of if A happens, then go to B. Uh, and kind of reading how an organization like FDNY puts together their planning and assigns responsibilities for, um, you know, the first arriving units. Um, kind of put a lot of that in, in perspective uh, in terms of building a team for uh, your emergency, your emergency scenarios, your emergency uh, situations, and putting it all, uh, getting know what to do when to do it and if you're the first person to arrive at the safe location what do you do if you're the second person how do you help the first person etc until uh, he passes over all right so for myself uh, i finally came off a big work shift so now i'm on my uh, quote-unquote summer vacation so i've got uh, a couple weeks off which is timely for summer i suppose and uh, so i managed to uh, rotate some of my fuel storage uh, by you know 
dump on some of the vehicles, bought some fresh gas for that. Uh, continue the properly clean up from the uh, the big uh, power, or sorry, windstorm we had a little while ago. So lots of firewood still to come in here. Uh, but of course, every time I peel off a layer of uh, branches, the alpacas come in and clean up some more. So I'm giving them the free food as well. Check the serviceability of my generator. Uh, continued my brass prep and procur procurement. I'll get back to that in, in, uh, later on the episode here. Uh, changed out some of my bulbs in the house to uh, from even compact fluorescent or uh, incandescent to LED just to make it a little more e easy to run off the generator. And then uh, I put actually a more water efficient kitchen sink in, uh, kitchen faucet in for the sink. Basically just because it's uh, trying to watch our water usage as well. And then today I went to a place called CD Saturday, which is uh, basically a farmer's kind of uh, seedling meat. And so we picked up uh, some perennial food plants to uh, put in the garden for this year that hopefully will keep producing food. And we took our first real crack at something called Jerusalem artichoke, which is kind of a tuber, almost like a potato, but it's, uh, it's certainly hearty and it grows really well. Well, awesome. A good point on switching over to the LED lights. I did that uh, about a year and a half or two years ago, just slowly as things were burning out, put in uh, new bulbs and yeah, it makes uh, life a little bit easier in the generator if you have to use it. Well, certainly I can light up more of the house and or run the generator to lower power setting to make your generator more gas efficient at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so maybe we'll move into the, uh, the main topic of the show. The New Year's resolutions are wearing off, so we'll uh, move into the topic of fitness a topic that is very near and dear to me over the past couple of years uh two years and a bit i've lost about 130 140 pounds almost well, there's a long way to go a lot of um, good rule if you want to know anything about fitness ask a fat guy chances are good he has tried it all and done it all and can tell you exactly what doesn't work uh, in for for me um what has what has worked best is consistent application and getting rid of the sugar i uh, i went uh, uh hardcore keto diet for about uh, 18 months and it was hugely helpful uh, but the more the more i learn the more i try the more i know that the biggest thing you have to do is just do it every single day yeah you know it's, it's interesting you mentioned about the sugar too is like i think any diet that you go on no matter what i think if you watch the sugar more than anything else it's going to have say, you know some successful results i think it's pretty much Absolutely. pervasive in everything we eat though isn't it uh, it's really hard to find things that don't have sugar, especially if you're on the road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, actually, I've started, my wife and I started keto as well just as soon as I started the vacation here. And immediate results is actually kind of funny. It's like, you know, uh, just cutting out the starches, for lack of a better term, like sugars and starches. And uh, you feel better after the first, what they call the keto flu. Uh, then all of a sudden, you start to get a little more alert. You feel better. And yeah, it's, it's the pounds do start to drop off. I noticed my face got thinner right away. And uh, yeah, I start to feel better right off the bat. So an interesting point, a good friend of mine uh, about the same time went 100% uh, vegan and has had very similar results. So I can't say that specifically, uh, it's specifically keto, but he, but he and I both eliminated sugar and it, uh, it went and, and it was very beneficial really quickly. And I'm not picking fly stuff out of pepper here, but uh, is he vegan or is he vegetarian? Vegan, um, and you can tell the difference, right? As soon as, how do you know someone's vegan? Don't worry, just wait 30 seconds, they'll tell you. Yeah, it's like, uh, like CrossFit or <laughs> same thing, right? Exactly, and there is no, there's no question that he is, he is, he's a vegan, yeah. Okay, because yeah, cause some people do like the, the cheese and the eggs and everything else, the oval pesco, whatever have you, and uh, you know, it depends, I guess, on what you're after too, I guess. They, I know there's problems with anemia long-term with 100% with vegan 
So I guess that's one thing he has to watch out for. Uh, well, and I mean, he and I both did it while, you know, under under enough, you know, medical supervision to, you know, to get regular work and make sure that we're, we're being healthy about it. Um, and again, we've both seen very similar results, you know, cholesterol levels have gone down and resting blood pressure and resting pulse and all that stuff has, um, has leveled off at a, at a more reasonable level. Um, so it, it seems to be working well for him. Um, the big challenge, I guess, in terms, of a, uh, in terms of an emergency, whether it's short term or long term, is being able to sustain that without access to fresh food. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if the grocery stores aren't providing you with your your tofurkey or whatever, I'm not, not belittling it. I'm just saying, like, yeah, it's, it's it can be a very specialized diet, which doesn't your local environment doesn't support, right? Avocado does not grow in minus forty degree weather. As a general rule, no, that's for sure. Let's see, if I have an audience here. Um, so yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of, of you know, food, that's great. It's you know it's it's probably it's a really important thing. Um, food by itself, of course, does not make or break uh, one's level of fitness. So the question is, um, how do we keep fit or prepare for um, the idea of having a long walk home? Uh, I'm 60 kilometers from work, uh, work to home in a, in a straight line, of course, that's uh, assuming that I can actually get in a straight line from work to home. Um, depending on the emergency, that could detour me 30 to 50 kilometers. Uh, I have highways, bridges and rivers, um, train tracks that are all that are all in the way. And depending on the depending on the level of emergency and what caused it, um, I could be I could be you know 75 to 100 kilometers if I'm going home if I'm going to uh, a different location it could be even further. And on top of that, you're carrying some gear with you as well, some stuff that you might not always be carrying every day, or a backpack with a little added weight to it. So you got to make sure that uh, cardiovascularly you're able to to carry that with you as well, right? Absolutely. The uh, if you're if you're walking and you don't have equipment, you're not getting very far no matter what. So prepare for the worst and hope for the best, right? Train, uh, train with a 75-pound pack and carrying a 50-pound pack won't mean much. Did you guys mention the uh, the rice and beans aspect? I was just off the uh, the microphone for a sec. Uh, well, we did mention the the lack of sustainability in, in whatever diet you might have when an emergency happens and you can't get to the grocery store. Yeah, because I mean, like we're all, we all talk about storing the rice and the beans and everything else, but I mean, if all you're storing is carbs and, and, and proteins or something you not, don't normally eat, it's yeah, it's very hard to, uh, to prep for that with the Mylar bags and the sealer and everything else. But I guess if you're used to it, it's one thing, but you might have to go back on the carb diet, whether or not you like it. Well, and I, I can feel it if when I've, when I've gone for, you know, eight, 10, 14 days I've been you know really on point with my diet and then all of a sudden I lapse and eat eat carbs eat bread eat pasta whatever uh, I, I feel it for days I, and it, it I feel sluggish and uh, just absolutely terrible I'm cranky and sluggish and foggy and all that great stuff and uh, being able to sustain that concept through an entire you know through our emergency of 72 hours a week two weeks until whatever until we get back to normal that's um you got to prepare accordingly right well i mean if you're, i think i'm the old man in the group here but uh, <laughs> i've been steadily battling the weight gain with age you know they usually say about a pound a, a pound a year is kind of normal but i've been trying my best to keep that off but so for me it's like as i'm in my late 40s uh larping time is over when it comes to fitness right so no more uh, pretending to do it i got to get serious about it here as well so it's uh i guess especially at my age it's hard to turn those goals into reality it's just not as fun as other stuff, right? <laughs> well, it's hard to break habit too, right? If uh, if it's not something that you're you're is in your daily routine, 
it's it's hard to get it into your daily routine and continue doing it, right? Well, yeah, and I've had to like incorporate it into everyday stuff because I mean, geez, if, if I don't need to at least go and do a dog walk, I feel like death now. But uh, yeah, trying to incorporate like a bigger dog walk up some inclines and you know up into the sticks behind the house here so at least that gives me some you know some steep terrain and everything else to play with but if i don't do that it's like it doesn't get done so it's a very tough thing to do and that also brings a point up about between the difference between functional fitness and theoretical fitness it's uh, you know it's one thing to be able to walk 50 or 60 kilometers at a steady pace with a, with a with a pack on uh, it's something very different to have to lift and carry and go faster if you had to if you had to run to a date, uh or get away from a thing that was on fire um, being able being able to sprint as well as to as well as to walk or jog is hugely important as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, people that are involved in or interested in preparedness at least that are like you know sitting there behind the keyboard as well, just like myself, you know, fighting those sedentary jobs in life. You're sitting at a desk or you're sitting at a in an office or whatever have you, um, and yeah, it is hard to break that that you know cycle, I guess, more than anything else. And you don't realize either spending that whole day in the office and, and working away and being concentrated on what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours has gone by and, and all you've done is sit at a desk. It's it's not overly healthy for you either, right? To just be sitting there typing away all day. Not good. <laughs> well, no, I mean, sitting stationary in office is an office is okay on a day to day basis. But of course, if you expect uh, something bad to happen and you expect to go super mobile and hike, like Alan said, like an 80, 80 or 50K hike. Uh, just to get home or whatever, you can't possibly expect to be super mobile that fast, that, you know, and do that well right off the bat. No, absolutely uh, not. So that's, that's, that takes daily, daily effort and daily uh, daily practice to make sure that you're you're ready to go with that. Yeah, so my old martial arts instructor used to call it: uh, you have to be fighting fit versus Call of Duty fit. Because <laughs> <So you laughs> on the coach playing Call of Duty is one thing, but actually going out and, and doing it and practicing doing you know actual physical exertion is a different thing for sure. Strongest the strongest thumbs in North America do not help much when it comes time to walk home. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I guess also too one uh, one good thing about being uh, in a better shape than you know you may currently be or like remaining in good shape is the fact that whatever calories you do have stored, whether it be in your car in your basement or whatever have you, I mean if you're in better shape you're going to spend less energy trying to get into shape, and basically it makes for an efficient use of the calories you've actually stored away rather than trying to get up to snuff during the emergency. Absolutely. If you're if your daily if your daily life you're burning sixteen hundred calories and you're taking in fourteen hundred, then you're you're going to lose weight no matter what. And then when time comes, you've got to burn thirty five hundred to get home. Then uh, it's a whole lot easier to find thirty five hundred calories on your way home than it is to find ten thousand because you're uh, you need a Snickers bar every thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> my, my blood sugar is falling. Yeah. No, Who was that from? Paul Paul Blart. I want to say was it was that that was it. Paul Blart Mall Cop. Mall cop, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't go 15 minutes with those sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, uh, as far as getting into shape without really, tr- you know, without trying, so to speak, I I uh, was talking to the other guys on the other podcast uh, post show, I think it was, and all on the text today, is that uh, one of the things they mentioned a couple of times before I joined that episode or that show was uh, they'd wear their plate carriers on a dog walk just to uh, you know trigger their neighbors, but also uh, they'd wear it at the range as well. So they'd be sitting there with 30 pounds of, of armor armor protection, like a uh, bulletproof. Uh, plates on their chest as well as like it's a passive weight that actually helps them you know slowly work out over time and it's no different than wearing a weight belt or a, a backpack full of gear or anything else it just well had the tactical, tactical cool advantage as well but it was a very interesting way to 
kind of build up muscles without really even paying attention to it. And they were, uh, I think a couple of the guys were even going as far as doing shooting competitions wearing the plate carrier. <laughs> as you train, so shall you fight, right? It's, uh, uh... That's right. And so exactly. So when the time comes to actually, if it, you know, the balloon goes up, so to speak for them, I mean, they're wearing the gear they would plan to wear. So this is like, you know, like you said, fight like you train, drain like you fight. So uh, you feed yep. me to it. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> another trick uh, they were mentioning, uh, well, I think Andrew mentioned it with us with our, uh, our first eight episode there was, you know, take the stairs when you uh, get to a hotel, a building, whatever have you uh, familiarizes yourself with the alternate exits. But I said, going, if you're on the 10th floor going up, Hey, you get some exercise out of the deal too. Absolutely, yeah. There's no uh, no harm in taking the stairs at uh, at your office building, wherever you work. It uh, familiarizes you with an alternate exit, first off, and uh, it's good for you. Why not? Yeah, I, I remember coming home from the from the. Three days worth of duty hours at uh, when the, when they had that blackout in 2003, and I lived on the 25th floor of my building, and I had steel toe boots that felt like they weighed about 10,000 pounds at that exact moment. And I looked up the dark stairwell, and I went, "Eh, not today." <laughs> I've done I'd done it before, but that that wasn't that was not today. Better fitness, I may have actually made that climb. I remember they actually had contests in New York for a while, like uh, running up the stairs of the Empire State Building. They they have like uh, almost like a what do you call those skating things where they uh, raise money by do skatathons or whatever, but yep. they do they do like stair climbing things for the Empire State and try and raise money doing that way. It's kind of funny. There's but, there's uh, one of those in London every year for the, it's a United Way fundraiser and they do uh, the tallest building is point uh, stories, uh, which is still nothing compared to the Empire State Building, but they do they do relays up the um, up the up the stairs there for to raise money. Same concept. Yeah, they do the same thing at the CN Tower in Toronto. And there you go. And so from a tactical perspective as well, when, when it comes to tactical parking, that's good. Maybe we should, uh, you know, incorporate that one into our lingo. But uh, for tactical parking purposes, if you park at the far end of the parking lot, closest to the exit, uh, make a clean getaway. You get a long walk out of it. And at least you might have to carry your groceries further, get a little bit of passive exercise that way as well. I'm going to call it tactical parking from now on. That's it. And always do the Magnum PI thing. Oh, see, I'm dating myself again. But anyways, where you back the car into the uh, the, par- the park space so you can get out faster. You don't have to back out and do the T thing. Uh, I back I back my car in everywhere. Always <laughs> have, always will. Same here. And now I'm going to tactically back it up. That's yes. right. As soon as I say tactical, it sounds better anyway, right? It does, yes. Well, my car, my car is blocked, so it makes good sense. It has to be oh, by, by definition tactical. There you go. I see, and mine's gray for a very, <laughs> very, very good reason. Nothing to do with our last episode, does it? Nothing to do with it at all. Uh, and actually, I had to you know, put my money where my mouth is actually to peel a sticker off the back of my truck this week too. That was one of the other things I did for <laughs> this week is I took the uh, easily identifiable sticker off the back of my truck because I realized I had one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess another thing for prepping purposes, I guess uh, when the time comes, uh, you know, if you're used to doing long walks, even short walks, I mean, uh, a walk doesn't seem as daunting when you first have to do it and contemplate it. You know, walking home, walking, uh, you know, to go pick up your kids or whatever doesn't seem as paralyzing mentally, right? Absolutely. The, when you when you're used to doing it, then it, it becomes or the pun becomes a walk in the park rather than a rather than than a uh, something to be endured. Absolutely. Somebody else came up with the uh, another point there, right? Um, I've honestly lost track of where I am in the, uh, there you go. Uh, so somebody came up with this. Play carries. Yep. Yo, lift, lift, uh, lifting supplies and being able to pack in a hurry. 
Oh, yeah. So walking walking and running are good. Uh, lifting and carrying are also good and combining the two is even better. So um, if the power goes out, you've got to move things. You've got to move things around. A um, gallon of water weighs 10 pounds. We carry a gallon of water per person per day. So that's a lot of weight to move around. Uh, if you're stacking firewood, uh, theoretically in an emergency, uh, life gets harder. So the stronger you are, the more adaptable you are to that to that scenario which of course can be taken too far um do you guys watch the uh was it first or second well, first couple of seasons of survivor uh way back in the in the uh beginning times of uh, reality tv um there were a couple of guys that were just you know absolute absolutely jack they were uh they were power lifters and um couple of days without their normal without their normal diet they were just they were crashing they couldn't they couldn't do anything they were totally useless well yeah if you see the actually intake required for those guys it's insane like uh not that i'm a big fan per se but anyways we were watching something on the rock the other day on youtube and the, what the guy ate in a day was yep. insane right and i mean yeah he's, he's hollywood fit everything else but if he needs four thousand calories a day to, to get by He's, he's not doing well in bad times, right? That's a lot of calories. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of calories to go through in a day, and that's you know if if that's if if that's your if that's your life and your everyday, that's fine. Just don't expect to be at your peak performance when you don't have ready access to a grocery store. And so, what are you going to do? What how are how are you going to be how are you going to be overcoming? How are you going to overcome that? How are you going to be prepared to overcome that when when the trucks stop rolling because of those snowstorms? Yeah, which I mean, actually, just out of curiosity, with the snowstorms, there, guys, was there actually any sort of interruption to uh, truck deliveries or anything else that you noticed? Uh, yeah, when uh, I was I, out, uh, out and about, a lot of the roads were closed. Uh, a lot of vehicles were just sitting, staring at the road, closed signs, wondering, "Huh, what do I do now? This is the only direction I know how to get to the location I'm going to." Uh, so, a lot of temporary disruptions, but they uh, they were certainly there and they were in place. Uh, the roads closed around my area for. For a few hours, more than a, more than a few days, uh, the main highway nearby has a um, has a bit of a history of being closed in bad weather, for, uh, with good with good reason. Um, whoever built a freeway in the in, directly in line with the snow belt wasn't planning terribly well. But um, that that high, that particular highway is known for having just piles and piles of snow dumped on it. So it's it's often closed, but there are enough kind of side roads that there was no major interruption. Although I'm sure. There are enough people that noticed it, uh, but not nothing to be nothing to be life threatening or excited about. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no, I remember that when I lived uh, southern Ontario as well. Yeah, having the highway along the the snow belt was always sporting at times for sure. <laughs> well, I have to one of my that's one of my pinch points. Right? If I if I'm getting home, I have to cross that highway, uh, and so I can travel along it if it's open. If it's not, then there are only you know two or three ways to get across it before um, before I get before I get into trouble. So uh, that's that's the, one of the points where I may have to you know where I may have to ditch my car and and hike the rest of the way home. Jeez. Well, uh, I guess one of the aspects of the uh, the preparedness fitness thing uh, for those of you that uh, are into the shooting sports as well or archery. Um, you know, there's a reason these Olympians that go out and do shooting, they actually work out daily to work on their arm strength and everything else. Because, I mean, when it comes to holding up the movement steady on target, you want to make sure you have good forearm strength, everything else. So, I mean, you'll see these competitive shooters working out as much as they're shooting, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of these guys, they have their muscle mass and, um, you know, basically affects the side to side aspect of the shot and of course the breathing even being able to breathe at a lower rate uh keeps you steady on shot as well because i mean breathing affects the up and down on the shot as well right 
I was just going to say that my uh, my cousin's in the military. He was telling me about his, uh, his seven qualification, which is kind of running, like sprinting between sprinting between target points and then having to get rounds on paper. And he said, well, like, after the third or fourth sprint, when you're breathing so heavily, you can't you can't hold yourself still, and then having to try and aim and fire became significantly more challenging. So, the more fit you are, and the more adaptable you are to whether it's marathon or sprint, um, being able to control your breathing because you're in good physical condition uh, will certainly will certainly make everything easier when the worst doesn't. Well, that's where I think a lot of these, like you'll notice, Nut and Fancy does running guns. You'll see, uh, is it ORA uh, or is it uh, Ontario Rest or Service Conditions? Anyways, uh, in, in Ontario, they do running as well. And then when you're trying to breathing heavy and you're trying to make your shot, it's actually amazing how much conditioning you need to do to do that well, right? Absolutely. And you had something as well, Al? Um, I should probably keep back on my. Uh, keep oh, back sprints on these, on these versus notes. marathons. Yeah, sprints versus marathons. So, it, it, um, but they both take a lot of calories. The. Um, uh, hockey players are, you know, you, you compare hockey players to speed skaters. Uh, hockey players make sprints much better than than speed skaters do, but speed skaters can go the distance that hockey players can't. Uh, I remember seeing that years ago. Um, it was during during an Olympic event or just before the Olympics, and they they took a, an Olympic speed skater, an Olympic hockey player, put them put them end to end. Hockey player beat them down the ice, but then the speed then the speed skaters go back and forth six or seven more times than the uh, uh, than the hockey player was. So being able to do both, right? If you have to hike a hundred clicks with a, uh, with a backpack um, is, is important. Uh, if you have to sprint and dodge to get out of the city, and then once you're out of the city, be able to be able to get to your destination, uh, having understand the difference between those two. So sprinting is, um, they take up very different amounts of energy, but they both take a lot of energy and a lot of training to be able to go, go that distance. Yeah, especially if you make your big trek home, right? Or wherever it is that, wherever it is that you're going. My uh, my 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 se- my secondary location is a whole lot further away than my primary location. If I can't get home, then we're going uh, we're going a lot further, and that takes that takes a whole lot more time. Which then, of course, uh, means I have to carry more equipment if I want to get there without uh, without having to catch my dinner along the way. Well, I remember mentioned, uh, you know, the good reason to stay, I guess, in shape for preparedness purposes is if, if um, hopefully staying in shape will help uh, prevent health issues that may come up, uh, but also might prevent some from coming up during a suspension of normal medical services. I mean, if you're not used to doing running and all sort of hiking and all of a sudden you, you tear an ankle or whatever have you, uh, because you're so tired, you don't want to have those fatigue-related accidents, whether it be, you know, swinging an axe because you've never swung an axe before or whatever have you, it's like uh, best to do it now and, and get used to it, right? Absolutely, that, that function, that functional ability makes uh, makes life a whole lot a whole lot easier. Uh, when I worked in kind of in, in kind of heavier trades, I'm I'm a I'm a soft office worker now. But uh, when I worked in construction, the the first couple of, the first couple of weeks, I would come home just absolutely sore and tired, couldn't walk the next day, and I was you know thirty to fifty percent almost. Um, but after a few months, you know. Picking up and carrying heavy objects up the stairs, down the stairs became second nature to me, and it was a whole lot easier. And uh, as much as I don't miss those days of working on a construction site in minus thirty, there is certainly an advantage to uh, to having that, that that functional ability. Well, of course, if you're doing a steady diet of chips and pop right now too, and you have to switch over to freeze dried veggies, rice, and sewer rat, it's going to be a, a big chase to your uh, system as well. So best to drop the chips and pop now, right? Oh yeah, that'll be quite the shock to the system. But, 
don't take the sewer rat up right now. I'm just saying that just that's that's an emergency. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> that's, not, a that's, a, that's a last ditch. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. One of the things I, I noticed there's uh, if you, I don't know if you guys follow the uh, the urban prepper. He's uh, he's in the Seattle area. I want to say uh, he'll do 72 or 96 hours on his on his rations, like on his on his preps, and um, kind of document the document how it feels to actually live on an energy bar for a couple of days. Um, and it's something that, that is probably a really good idea for us to put into to, to practice that, you know, we can have all the, all the freeze dried mountain house, whatever it is in our, in our storage. But if we never taste it, if we never have to live on it, then when the time comes, knowing how it's going to affect our bodies is, is really important as well. Well, because there's a lot of chemical preservatives that, for all you know, you might be allergic to if you've never tried one. I mean, I, I made a point of cooking up uh, one of the one each of the mountain houses I end up storing up in, uh, in various places. And one thing I haven't tried yet, have you guys tried those Datrex rations or Datrex? I'm not sure what you call them. Not yet. I, I, try and, I try and stay as far away from the rations as I can, uh, both, in, both in my preps and in my, uh, in my everyday life. Um, I, I've, I've had enough MREs in my life that I, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Uh, so I plan accordingly. There, there's a lot more, uh, a lot more jerky and canned tuna in my, uh, in my pantry than there is, uh, um, things that have that 25 year shelf life. Yeah. I mean, we, the Datrex has uh, wheat in it. One of my daughters isn't very good with wheat. So that's, uh, that's one thing. So we can't really do that, but I've seen them everywhere and I've, I've got a couple of friends that use them. I was just kind of curious what you guys thought of them. Yeah. They're small little <laughs> brick. They're good for storage, but. Uh, I haven't heard anything bad, but I haven't tried them myself. So, so is fruitcake. That doesn't make it a good thing to eat. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Yep. Well, again, I'm not sure if you want to eat it steady for like a week either. So. Yeah, I think it's more designed just for a, a quick get you through sort of thing versus a, a long term solution. Yeah. Excellent. So, anything we also want to talk on for the uh, the fitness aspect? I guess first uh, the fitness, more. just on my side of things, if if you're looking at at doing like the gym thing or or getting into weights and, and cardio workouts and such, just start small. I know everybody kind of thinks they're going to sign up and, and start pushing these big heavy weights around. There's no need to be jumping in and, and throwing, you know, 45, 50 pound weights around because you, you think that's what you're going to be doing. Just go in and, and start small and, and work your way up and just realize the fact that it's, it's going to take time to, to get to a level that you want to get to. Well, I think it's you're far better off to be toned with what the muscle mass you have than it is to try and bulk up right off the bat and try and look like the rock or whatever. I mean, way better off with a with with a toned toned setup. Absolutely, and, and don't rush into things. And don't be afraid to hire a trainer as well. Somebody who has the experience. If if that's all, if that's foreign to you. Um, I know I learned I learned a lot from hiring from spending a few sessions with a trainer. Uh, it, it changed the way that I approached my fitness, um, which that which then of course uh, can tra- translates into, into greater success down the road. Because if you get hurt while you're doing that, uh, you're not going to do yourself any favors and also not going to you're, so you're going to set yourself back and then you're going to make it harder for your harder to want to go back and build that fitness again. Well, absolutely. And even keeping a trainer on every once in a while, once you get comfortable with things, just to mix things up and, and give you a new routine and, and make sure that you're not falling out of form is uh, is worth its weight in gold. No pun intended. <laughs> and for, form is definitely better, than, uh, definitely better than volume. It's great to be able to say that you can, you know, you can uh, squat 14,000 pounds, but if you blow your knees out when you do it, then... It, not a it's not a great not a great thing no matter what oh absolutely back to to those repetitive injuries again you don't want to pop up during bad times either right yep exactly well time for the podcast challenge 
I think so. All right. So your podcast challenge this week, um, I came up with something that I've actually kind of had to work with as well. Um, see if we can get everybody to try and walk eventually with uh, with your bug out bag on your back eventually, but start just walking. Um, 5K, uh, five days out of every seven. So five days a week, just try and do a 5K walk. Bonus points if you're if you're carrying a weight that includes a plate carrier, I guess, and uh, <laughs> try to go extra tactical in the city, in the, especially in the city. That'd be more sporting, I think. But um, or if you're if you're not a walker and then the weather's warm, try biking 20K. Because I mean, uh, obviously, it's looking to be a little bit easier to bike 5K. Uh, same thing, five days out of seven, 20K. Um, when you're used to it, try throwing a 30 pound weighted backpack on when you're biking around it to certainly get you into shape real fast. Um, I say keep it up until it's Challenge habit. accepted. Yeah, full disclosure, guys. Uh, I do my 5k walk a day, but I have been very, very bad about carrying the weight around. And actually, uh, my wife's actually, uh, we can see it back up there, but there's a, there's a backpack up there that we're gonna be like throwing 30 pounds just worth of the various weights in there just to see if I can actually start doing it because it's I'm just as bad as anybody else right now. I've got a funny feeling we're getting an email from all the uh, panelists on the Canadian Patriot podcast saying they've completed the challenge with their uh, with their carriers. Well, I don't know if they've gone 5K, though, five days out of seven. So we'll see. Um, I guess that the alternative, if you don't want to do that for a podcast challenge, if that's too much, just try an actual bug out on foot, depending, you know, depending on how far you plan on going. But if you plan on walking 10K to your bug out location or you're just going from work to home, school to home, whatever, just try doing that once and then see how that affects you. And I guess that'll probably be a proper motivator as well. Absolutely. And then uh, once you've completed it, flip us an email at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And uh, let us know how it went for you, what went right, what went wrong, um, what you learned from it, and uh, any kind of feedback that you'd want to let uh, other listeners know about. We'll move into some shout-outs. So uh, you didn't have any today, Eric? No shout-outs for me this time around, nope. All righty. Uh, I've got two. I've got uh, one for my uh, call, my unnamed homesteading mentor. He uh, He's watching the show right now as well. So uh, the way I described it to my wife was like hanging with him is kind of like drinking from the fire hose of knowledge, yet fun at the same time and he's been very generous with his time the last week or so so i really appreciate that because i've learned a lot and um also there's a guy uh, he goes by the nickname bogey on a couple different websites um he's on gun Wars of canada under bogey and then also uh because i think because of username issues he had to go with mdrgc which is the name of his gun club in vancouver but anyways bogey himself he raises money for kids programs at his local vancouver range he goes to the the range with the permission of the uh, the range people, uh, grabs all the spent brass on the line, uh, sorts it all out, and sells it relatively cheaply cheaply on the internet for uh, for us reloaders. And all the proceeds, because he's a retired guy, he sends all the proceeds off to the gun range to fund all the kids clubs, so the kids can shoot for free. You know, have uh, targets paid for and everything else. So I think it's a great way to give back to the uh, the sport for sure. Oh, awesome. so, Does he have a, a website? No, he just goes by Bogey uh, on GOC and then MDRGC on, on uh, Canadian Gun Nuts. And then basically he has brass for sale all the time. And um, like I said, it's, it's probably the cheapest you're ever going to find anywhere. Uh, but it all goes to charity. So it's pretty awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, two shout outs for me. Uh, the, uh, one to uh, an Instagram uh, account that I follow. <laughs> Uh, you can follow at uh, textbook underscore survival. Uh, all kinds of really cool uh, t- tips and tricks there. And she's a real fan of making printables. Uh, so checklists and um, concepts that, uh, that you can print throw in your bags so and uh, reminders of what to do. Uh, and also uh, a quick shout out to my kids who are uh, patiently listening on the, uh, uh, watching us live right now in uh, a new show and especially at Farm in uh out on the island there 
Sounds good. Hey, uh, so the actually all the alpacas just want to let her know they appreciate the having a fan. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> actually, just a quick question: Do you have a, for the textbook survival? Do you have some sort of way to find uh, is on YouTube? You said uh, Instagram. Instagram. Uh, textbook. Yeah, uh, follow on Instagram. Textbook underscore survival. Um, and yeah, lots of cool stuff there. I'll have to get on that one of these days, but I'm just for now I'm kind of shutting all the social media as best I can, except for this one. It seems. <laughs> Right on. So maybe we'll move into some listener email. So we've got, let's pull the emails up here. Uh, so we got one from the, uh, the Torque Master again. Uh, this one reads, thanks again for another enlightening podcast. Uh, you fellows are the best. Regarding this week's prepper challenge, it took over three hours to peel the uh, various Sasquatch and gun decals off the scientist's massive six-wheel drive uh, ex-military deuce and a half. Uh, I fell off the ladder only once. It's now more subtle at some point. <laughs> uh, to, make it, uh, to make the beast look less conspicuous, we got out the brush and roller, uh, painted it yellow, then applied some decals of the beetles. Uh, she has now the been rewritten the yellow submarine. Perfect. <laughs> or she just had like maybe like water tours or something on the side, and like you know, like little tour buses go around Vancouver and Halifax and stuff. <laughs> yeah, hop on, hop on bus tours. But uh, well, I want to know where I can get a deuce and a half. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. There's uh, more to email here. Says uh, so. For now on, when a crowd is gathered, we fit right in, blaring rock and roll music through the newly added sound system. We stealthily move through the crowd. And we got here uh, as an added bonus we make a few bucks selling Beatles music and memorabilia uh, we are patiently waiting next week's words of wisdom well actually now I gotta, I'm starting to think we should get them on here one of these days if it wouldn't break the grey man theory for them anyways but well, they don't have to come on camera right we can uh, we can always just put a picture of audio only for them yeah, let's put a picture of an alpaca and then maybe just give them a voice modulator. And- <laughs> yeah, we can do a voice modulator for them. They probably have a few just sitting in the uh, in the car there. Well, yeah, I mean, they got to mask their, their voices when they're hunting down the Sasquatches too, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I think the only way that they can be on the show is if they do it in full gas masks and then we can't won't be able to see or understand what they're saying or hear what they're saying. they got to wear tinfoil hats too, though. <laughs> oh, one of these days we'll have to break out ours and just like I'll go on a, a tinfoil hat episode or something. Oh, I always have mine with me. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to sound normal come on just, uh, <laughs> ignore the tinfoil hat over here yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got another email here from jonathan it says uh hi a friend of mine recommended the podcast since i'm looking into getting a ham radio license so far i've listened to the ham episodes uh and about the gray man uh, i really enjoyed listening to them uh it's a great uh, it's great to have the canadian podcast about preparedness uh, so he's got a question uh, in the ham radio episode, you guys mentioned it's not allowed to broadcast encrypted messages and a message has have to be in plain language. Does that mean that you can't use some kind of code like the bird is on the nest, which makes sense as a, or, yeah, makes sense as a sentence, but has a hidden meaning or something like uh, the tree is playing chess, which doesn't even make sense as a sentence. Uh, what about speaking in a language other than English? And uh, he's got another question in regards to uh, confirming if it's legal in Canada to own a transceiver without a license, as long as you don't transmit. 
and uh, that it shouldn't be a problem for someone without a license to bring a transceiver into the country from abroad. Well, first of all, I saw that line in Red Dawn, the, the 80s version of Red Dawn, where they had the, the coded messages and uh, yeah. <laughs> Good idea, but I don't, I don't know, unless, unless you had like a, a, I think a publicly available code book, I think it's a problem, right? Yeah, it's uh, usually the way, the way it's worded is the, the method of encryption still needs to be publicly um, available. Um, that's that's the way it's worded. I'm, I'm not going to give out any any real legal advice here, yeah. um, but that's that's how it's worded. If you're going to use encryption, it still needs to be publicly available, and uh, other people on the frequency need to be able to decode what it is that you're saying. Uh, that being said, would they necessarily even realize that it is a code you're saying if you're using a sentence that just means something else to another person? Probably not, but that's the way it's written. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to say, I mean, if you're on HF and you're going long distance and contacting people across the world, I mean, clearly English isn't the only language spoken on the radio. So, I mean, yeah, if you if you happen to be fluent in German and you're talking to a guy in Germany, I, I can't see the problem, but I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, the, the the language thing, and I, I've heard it even here just operating in Ontario, you will hear other languages on uh, on the frequencies. The, the two main languages in Canada are obviously uh, English and French, uh, as far as using the other languages. I find if I come on a frequency and uh, people are speaking another language and I come on and I start speaking English, as a courtesy, they tend to switch back into English. Um, but as far as using another language, I don't know anything that prohibits you from doing so, but it's usually a common courtesy thing to, to move back to English or French if, uh, if somebody comes onto a frequency speaking that language. And then as far as the possession of a radio transceiver goes, I'm just going to point you towards the Radio Communication Act, uh, Section 4, Sub 1, A and B. Uh, if you want to refer to those, uh, have, a, have a read over them. And uh, however it is you interpret that section is how you interpret it, because uh, I'm not going to be giving out legal advice on the show. But uh, that would be the section I'd point you to. And as far as crossing the border, yeah, not going there with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> Some guy on the internet told me it was okay, yeah. therefore it yeah. must be allowed. Yeah, not happening. Um, if, you, if you're really concerned, I'm sure you could contact the, the CBSA and, uh, and ask them. I'm sure they would happily answer your question, um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not making comments. So, yeah, just the, uh, the Radio Communications Act, Section 4, Sub 1, A, and B, and uh, go from there. Or read the whole thing if you want. It probably spells out uh, everything that you're going to want to know. That's uh, that's for a night when you just can't sleep. Yes, yeah, that uh, it definitely uh, induces nappy time. <laughs> uh, as far as any iTunes reviews go, uh, we are up to eleven five star ratings. We've still got that one mm -hmm. four star rating. I said I'll take it, and uh, no new um, reviews or written reviews, anyways, since the last uh, since the last show. The uh, the most recent um, still being M fourteen medic from January twenty second. Yeah. Take five stars wherever we can get them. Oh, absolutely. And let's see, I think that is my uh, my list. All right. It's time for the outro. Uh, I can get my notes back up here. Let's see. Yeah, that's my I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Too many screens open all at once. Multitasking. Uh, so uh, where can people find the show after I bring uh, episode 12 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end? You can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and take a few minutes to submit a review. Helps other people find us. Also gives us something to talk about. You can also find us at theprepperpodcast.ca. YouTube live shows are now available. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Island Retreat. Click the notification button. 
gives you an alert and we're going live. All right. If you want to contact Ian directly, you can reach me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. I love to answer questions specific to Western Canada. I'm also looking forward to helping local preppers to take their first steps. You can also occasionally find me giving my two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you'll find me chatting about the merits of a freer society, bemoaning more government waste, and even diving into the occasional tactically driven conversation. And you can check out uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there in the live chat while you're uh, buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us and tune in next episode where we're going to talk about basic orienteering. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Keep learning.